This morning, we'll move into question 22 and 23 of an Orthodox uh, catechism. So we've been working through the catechism. Uh, and can someone uh, just remind us of sort of that the threefold uh, nature of the catechism? How is it laid out? What are some words or phrases that summarize uh, the threefold structure of the catechism? Misery, uh, redemption, and thanksgiving. Uh, so we're still in the uh, redemption portion here. Um, and as uh, Arnie uh, taught, uh, well, two weeks ago, and then Kyle before that, sort of uh, setting the stage for um, what Christians um, ought to believe, what the scriptures call us to believe, um, and even what we ought to, ought to confess which is what we'll, we'll talk about today. <clears throat> but first, let's start by reading question uh, 22. Who wants to read question 22? Uh, and then someone else can read the answer to that question. Norm? Question 22. What are those things which are necessary for a Christian man to believe? Yeah, who wants to read the answer to that? I can read it. Thank All you. All things which are promised us in the gospel. Some of this is briefly comprised in the articles of the Catholic and undoubted faith of all true Christians, commonly called the Apostles' Creed. Okay. Um, now we've we've mentioned this uh, in the in the past, but I'll mention it again that when you uh, see the word uh, Catholic, usually in a Protestant context, um, it's referring not to the Roman Catholic Church, lowercase C, but the um, Universal Church. Um, Okay, so Roman Catholic or Catholic in that sense, uppercase C, uh, universal lowercase C, Catholic in that sense. Uh, the articles of the Catholic and undoubted faith of all true Christians, uh, commonly called the Apostles' Creed. Now, before we look at that, I want to talk about uh, the nature of saving faith. Um, what is faith? Uh, Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. First uh, Thessalonians 5.8 says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith. Um, faith is essential to what it means to be a Christian. Uh, Hebrews 11 is filled with <clears throat> the narrative of our brothers and sisters who came before us who exercised faith. Uh, Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, with reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He did this by faith. Um, Hebrews 11:8 says, "By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive an inheritance." Uh, God uh, calls uh, Abram. He says, "Leave your home." And he doesn't even tell him where he's going. He says, "Go." And Abram goes in faith. Uh, 
Hebrews 11.11 says, By faith, Sarah received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. Uh, She conceived by faith. Now, the question we want to try to ask and talk through is, what is the object of saving faith? Or another way to ask that is, what does faith rest in? What does it grab a hold on to? Is it important just to have faith in something or anything? Uh, Will that eventually save us if we believe hard enough and strong enough? The idea that uh, we can just have faith in whatever our own sort of higher power is or have faith that our circumstances will change or have faith enough to uh, draw to ourselves good circumstances and good vibes. These are sort of things that we hear circling around in just the cultural narrative. But is faith in and of itself the end? Are we to have faith in our faith? Does that faith save? Or is it in something more than that? Jesus said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, You will say to a mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, in some context, really in uh, a lot of the sort of mainstream prosperity gospel context, this verse will be referred to, says, well, if you have, you know, this type of faith, you can can move a mountain. Um, That's taken to mean you can name and claim, you know, a house or a car or good things or success at a job or children even. And if you have faith enough, even a mustard seed faith, God will hear it and give you that thing that you have faith in. Um, But that's not what's being communicated here. This idea of faith to move a mountain and say, be uprooted and be cast into the sea. It's really more of a uh, sort of Judeo colloquialism to talk about something that is uh, impossible. And the point is that the Lord blesses this uh, faith, the faith that he grants, and the point of it is salvation. Uh, Faith that he gives, that he blesses unto salvation. It's not about anything material. Um, And they would have understood, they would have understood that that in that context. But we have a lot of ideas about what faith is and what faith is not. But let me hear from you. How would you summarize someone who doesn't have any context for the Bible or the Christian evangelical faith? Uh, how would you explain to them if they say, well, what is faith? Christians always talk about faith. What is faith? How do you answer that? Let me hear some of your thoughts. This is also a break from my voice, so please share. Chris. thoughts? How, how you've explained faith in the past to a friend or a family member? 
Norm? Faith cast itself completely and utterly upon God, right? Uh, in his commentary um, on, um, or your sinus in his commentary on, on the catechism, he says, just as the law is properly the doctrine of those things which are to be done, the gospel is the doctrine of, the, of those things which are to be believed. And so this question 22 is reminding the church about the object of justifying faith, saving faith. The object of our faith is not found in human tradition. It's not found in um, things that we sort of concoct of of our own wills, no matter how sincere they may be. Um, But the object of our faith, of saving faith, rests finally and ultimately upon the word and the promises of God. Chapter 14 of the 1689 is on the doctrine of saving faith. Paragraph two says, by this faith, Christians believe to be true everything revealed in the word, recognizing it as the authority of God himself. But the principal acts of saving faith focus directly on Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon him alone for justification, for sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. So what does faith rest upon? What does it hope in? Uh, What does it take a hold of? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.15. Let me have someone read that for us. Someone go to Ephesians 1.15, and then someone else go to Colossians 1, 3 through 4. Who wants Ephesians 1.15? Crystal, and then Colossians 1, 3 to 4. Matt? 
And then, um, Roger, you can go to First uh, Timothy three thirteen. Okay. Uh, first uh, Ephesians one fifteen. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Okay. What do we see there? Heard of your faith in who? The Lord Jesus. Right? Rest faith that rests upon uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Takes a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3, uh, 11 to 13 says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. And then Colossians 1, 3 to 4. Ben, read that for us. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Again, it's that same language. Heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, uh, upon Christ Jesus. Colossians 1, 22 to 24 says... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So this faith that he says continue in is couched right in between um, God, Christ, uh, who is himself blameless and holy who is able to present you blameless and holy and not shifting from the hope of the gospel between these two uh, parts in these verses is continue in the faith the faith of the blessed gospel first uh, timothy 313 can you read that roger Yes. First Timothy three thirteen. Did I have this on deacons? Is that what Yes. Okay. All right. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Okay. So again, yes, that language, faith that is in Christ Jesus, faith that rests upon Christ Jesus. Here even for the qualification of office bearers, says they should hold their faith with a clear conscience, uh, but again, not faith in just anything, but faith that rests in Christ Jesus. And then 1 Timothy 6, 12 says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So here, good faith is connected with eternal life. He says, take hold of the eternal life. So a faith that now <clears throat> people, <clears throat> and I, I mentioned this a, a few weeks ago, someone can be driving down the street and they see a sign that says, Starbucks coming next month. And they, they say, Next month, I can't wait because I'm going to Starbucks. It's just a mile up the street now and I'm going. They have some confidence that the Starbucks will be there um, based off of this sign. So in some sense, 
a, 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 a type of faith is, is exercised in that. Um, but it's different than what we're talking about when we say faith uh, in Christ, faith that rests upon Christ, uh, faith that uh, through which the Lord grants eternal life. Um, confidence that a Starbucks will appear because a sign or a kiosk uh, does not uh, grant one or it's not a means to which one takes a hold of eternal life. It just means they can get their coffee sooner, quicker, because it's up the street or any number of other things. But we're talking about a faith that when it's given by God, uh, by virtue of, by the power of the spirit and that God uh, grants eternal life through this faith that rests upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a, it's a different, um, uh, this faith is of a different nature, of, of a different kind. Um, first, or, or Second Peter 1.1, 1, 1, uh, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, a faith that uh, by which we have obtained equal standing by the righteousness of God. So even here, this faith is connected to the righteousness of God. And I think about um, where the scriptures say the, the breastplate of, of righteousness, we put on the breast, breastplate of righteousness. And even this we do by faith. Uh, the breastplate of righteousness is the, 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 the righteousness uh, by which our God and King Almighty himself powerfully redeems by his own power and might and righteousness, which he gives to the believer by virtue of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's a, there's a thread, there's a, there's a connection here um, when we talk about saving or justifying faith. Our faith takes a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the promises of God and the scriptures, they direct us to him. Uh, Christians believe to be true everything revealed in the word of God, like the confession says, recognizing it as the authority of God himself. But the principal acts of saving faith focus directly on Christ Jesus. <clears throat> now, there's another question. Where do we find the word of God it's a sort of a, um, a setup, but where do we find the word of God helpfully and scripturally uh, summarized? Where might we find that? Think of any uh, extra biblical resources. Where, where do we find the Christian faith summarized? In the creeds. The creeds, yep. <laughs> Crystal hesitantly says the creeds, you are right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. The assurance of things, hope for the conviction of things not seen. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. So in this, in in the in the uh, catechism here, you see the next thing. There, or, and you see this in an Orthodox Catechism and also in the Heidelberg, but in the Orthodox Catechism, you'll see that this section has adjoined to it or appended to it the Apostles' Creed. In the Heidelberg Catechism, it says this, uh, the sum and substance of the gospel or of those things which are to be believed 
is the Apostles' Creed, which we hear subjoined or append. Now, <clears throat> the thought can be, well, we just talked about faith resting upon the Lord Jesus Christ and the scriptures being uh, sufficient to articulate uh, the Christian faith, which ought to be believed, the promises of God. How do we jump here now to the Apostles' Creed? What is, what is the, the connection? Right? <clears throat> Many can think about the confessions and the creeds as these extra-biblical writings or documents or dogmas which end up just sort of muddying the waters of, of the Christian faith. But I want us to sort of think about this and work, work through it to think about why the Heidelberg Confession or an Orthodox Catechism, Baptist version of the Heidelberg Confession, would append the creed, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, but first, let's, uh, let's read it together. You should have it there in your, in your handout. We'll, um, we'll say it together. <clears throat> Y'all gonna have to help me, okay? <laughs> All right. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended into hell, and on the third day he rose from the dead and descended into heaven, from where he shall come to judge both the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. <clears throat> now, depending on what variation of the creed, uh, the Apostles' Creed you read, you may see descended into hell, descended into the depths, um, and you'll also see uh, a note on Catholic Church, which is, which is common. I won't now get into those variations and why hell over the depths or Sheol, that's for another maybe class at a, another time or maybe you can read on that. But just to cite the creed uh, briefly and to, to talk about it. <clears throat> in question 22, the creed is cited and in question 23, the creed is explained. Uh, the creed is called the Apostles' Creed not because it was produced by the apostles themselves, but because it contains a brief summary of their teachings hence the name Apostles' Creed. Although within some traditions, they would say that the creed, uh, the apostles joined together and they wrote the creed before um, Christ uh, ascended. Uh, so again, different sort of um, uh, 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 historical uh, sort of context, but um, uh, generally it's been shown, I think proven historically that uh, the creed was likely not, not written by the apostles, but a summarization of their faith. Philip Chaff, a church historian, said, a creed or rule of faith or symbol is a confession of faith for public use or a form of words setting forth with authority certain articles of belief, <clears throat> which are regarded by the framers as necessary for salvation or at least for the well-being of the Christian church. Now, 
as I was reading Philip Chaff and doing some research here, you see this terminology of symbol come up over and over. He uses the language of symbol. And he's using this language, um, and it's used even earlier uh, than that. Um, Ambrose, uh, Saint, Saint Ambrose used that language of symbol. Uh, Luther, Calvin used that language of symbol referring to confessions and creeds. He says it was a symbol. <clears throat> now the word symbol comes from an ancient Greek word which means to throw together or to compare. Um, other words used to define symbol in ancient times were mark, uh, badge, watchword, or test. <clears throat> Christians were seen as soldiers fighting under the cross, and the badge they carried as a sign that they were orthodox and biblically founded was the Apostles' Creed. Uh, St. Ambrose in the late third century used this language of symbol in reference to Christians as soldiers in an army. Uh, Philip Chaff again says, it was chiefly applied to the Apostles' Creed, this language of symbols, um, as the baptismal confession by which Christians could be known and distinguished from Jews, heathens, and heretics in the sense of a military signal or watchword, the Christians being regarded as soldiers of Christ fighting under the banner of the cross. Now, it's interesting that he says this. The Apostles' Creed helped to identify Christians from heretics. It helped to recognize those who had been uh, of the orthodox, historical, biblical faith and understanding of the salvation from those who had deviated into heretical and unbiblical views of salvation. So in a sense, just like salvation by grace alone through faith alone marked the Reformation, the Apostles' Creed marked the early church. Luther and Melanchthon, during the time of the Reformation, first applied this language of symbol as a distinguishing mark to Protestant creeds. But Protestants who understood uh, and confessed salvation by grace alone through faith alone came to be distinguished from those who, of those who are of the Roman Catholic Church who had a unbiblical view of justification. So it was sort of this distinguishing mark. Uh, they uh, confessed the faith uh, as one being saved by grace alone through faith alone. Early Christians who understood and confessed the Apostles' Creed were distinguished by those teachings that threatened the fundamental teachings of the Christian faith. <clears throat> the Apostles' Creed was generally used in uh, catechesis and instruction and at baptism. Uh, those being baptized would recite the creed, showing that they understood and could summarize the Bible's teaching on the foundational aspects of the salvation. The creed has been uh, a bond of union between uh, all ages and sections of Christendom. It's quoted in churches today as it was in churches in the third century. It's really a helpful expression of our union with the broader Christian universal church and shows that we are not an island of Christians in the 21st century. Uh, so we do not stand as those who are not knit to a line of believers. And one of the historical marks of that was the reciting and confessing of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, far from it being something that was 
um, muddying the waters. Actually, the drawers of the creed saw it as something that drew lines in the sand to identify those who held to the biblical faith. Uh, they would catechize and baptize and say, now recite the creed. And it was a, a mark that identified them as those who did understand the Christian faith. <clears throat> Augustine called the um, uh, Apostles' Creed a symbol. He called it a rule of faith, both brief and grand. Brief as to the number of words, grand as to the weight of his thoughts. Luther says, Christian truth could not possibly be put into a shorter or clearer statement. Calvin says, it is an admirable and truly scriptural summary of the Christian faith, and he follows its order in his own institutes. You see the thread of the Apostles' Creed throughout the Christian church, not because we believe that it is on the same level with scripture, but because it is a glorious summarization of the core beliefs of the Christian faith. Now, I know I said a lot there, but I wanted to give us somewhat of a historical survey of, of the creed, how it's been used, why it's been used in the way it has been used. <clears throat> I'll quote Philip Schaff one more, one more time here. He says, the creed is an admirable popular summary of the apostolic teaching and in full harmony with the spirit and even the letter of the New Testament. It contains all the fundamental articles of the Christian faith necessary for salvation and the form of facts and simple scriptural language and in the most natural order, the order of revelation from God and the creation down to the resurrection and life everlasting. He says it is Trinitarian and divided into three chief articles expressing the faith in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth and his only son our Lord and Savior, and in the Holy Spirit. The chief stress being laid on the second article, the, net, the supernatural birth, death, uh, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. <clears throat> now that leads us into question 23 in the confession. <clears throat> into how many parts is this creed divided? Answer into three, the first of the eternal father and of the creation, the second of the son and our redemption, and the third of the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. <clears throat> the church has always been a uh, confessing church. <clears throat> what, we, what we believe, we articulate, we communicate, we codify, and we confess. First Timothy 6, 12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The Apostles' Creed is a summarized teaching of the, church, the church's confession. And we confess because we believe that it is a biblical, faithful summarization of our faith. Now, <clears throat> I want to, I went online um, with the help of some, some resources and also just trying to think of some verses um, that, and I broke out the creed uh, line by line, phrase by phrase, and put scripture references next to those different phrases and, and lines. Now, in one sense, I feel like um, 
citing those verses as proof texts in some senses works against uh, how the Apostles' Creed was uh, drafted and designed, not necessarily to go to one text and say, I see this or don't see this, but to look at the Bible as a whole as it's, as it's summarized. So in some sense, I feel I'm working against how it was drafted, but in another sense, I feel it might be helpful uh, to see that the Apostles' Creed does draw directly from, from Scripture. <clears throat> um, now, before, I, before we look at those verses specifically, I want to look at some of what Yersinus uh, laid out here and talk, talk through some of those, those things as well. He talks about the Creed, and uh, he recognizes, um, I think consistent with church history, the use of the Creed as a helpful summary for the old and for the young. He says, uh, the creed is uh, helpful in its formula that all the young, as well as those of riper years, would that be okay? Like if I was talking about our older saints and said, you of riper years, you, you think they'd be okay with that? Probably not. <laughs> I'm not gonna make eye contact with anybody unless you judge me. Um, he says, it's for the young and those of riper years that they might be able to remind, to, to remember the chief points of the Christian faith as thus briefly summed up and expressed. So he has the category, and I think church history has shown this, the category of the Apostles' Creed um, as a part of family um, worship and teaching even to our little ones. So this was a category that was a part of the normative life of, of the church, not just um, in sort of the uh, catacombs or the ivory towers of the church, but within the life of the believer and the localized church and even in their homes. It says the young and the old, it's an opportunity for them to remember the Christian doctrine. <clears throat> he says it's also helpful that it might consistently that they might consistently have before their eyes the confession and comfort of their faith, knowing what the doctrine was on account of which they are called and suffer persecution. And so he says, even as Christians would suffer, the Apostles' Creed was one that they would recite and remember for the confidence and bolstering of their own faith in the blessed gospel. So this was, it, it was commonplace um, in the heart and mind of the Christian and the early church. Um, and in the church, uh, prior to uh, the past couple um, centuries, um, <clears throat> he says another um, point he has, the apostolic creed is helpful in that the faithful might have a certain badge or mark which they might then and in all future ages be distinguished from unbelievers and heretics who cunningly corrupt the writings of the apostles and the prophets. One of the, I think, um, things that makes uh, deceptive teaching so deceptive is that it sounds so much like the truth. Um, it can be hard to distinguish because uh, usually false teaching or even heretics, uh, usually they're not saying uh, deny the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're usually saying believe it, but also believe this. Yeah. They're usually saying, hold it, but also hold this. 
which is what makes it so, so, so cunning. Um, here, the Apostles' Creed has historically been used within the Christian faith to say, well, this is what we believe as opposed to what this group and this group and this group and this group so cunningly say we ought to believe. And so it was sort of like a consistent bench press for the faith muscle of the Christian to recite this simple uh, but concise and helpful creed. <clears throat> I'm going to pause there and just let you guys, uh, any thoughts or questions before we look at, uh, before I continue talking? Roger? What dangers do churches that reject confessions face? <coughs> You'll see the website. We have no creed but Christ. You go look at what we believe in Catholicism. You know, put it on a post note, have space left over. What dangers are they leaving themselves open to? That's a great question. I hear you guys' thoughts on that. <clears throat> what dangers does the church leave itself, uh, you know, potentially open to um, uh, who may deny that uh, the church ought to maybe uh, confess uh, a creed or even uh, a confession or even the scriptures? Yeah, and I would venture to say that uh, even a church that doesn't uh, confess or, or even a church that says they have no creed but Christ, they have a creed. Uh, they're yeah. just maybe not publicly making it plain. Um, but I don't believe any church doesn't actually have a creed. It's just whether it's out in front or not. Uh, but what, what are some, some, some other, other thoughts on that? <clears throat> I would just say that there are churches that would have anything on the website, but it doesn't mean that they wouldn't. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So my question is, um, being a novice at it and looking at it just from, you know, introductory, <clears throat> I I don't see quite a lot of distinction between, say, what we believe and what some of the false teachers today believe mm -hmm. that would be distinguished by, by this creed. Yeah. Something like the forgiveness of sins is pretty vague. 
Yeah, yeah. Which is <clears throat> why the, the Apostles' Creed, and there, there were many, many creeds, but which is why the Apostles' Creed is helpful and not, and, and it, it's not in the sense of um, every line of the creed. It would be helpful if every line of the creed there had a broader commentary to communicate what the forgiveness of sins is. Um, but one of the reasons the Apostles' Creed is the Apostles' Creed and summarized um, is because it's, it was also taken along with broader creeds. So you have the Nicene Creed, you have the Athanasian Creed, which are broader explanations of even the Apostles' Creed. But the Apostles' Creed was meant to be a short, pithy summary of the Christian faith um, without all the uh, further summary of something like the Athanasian Creed, which is much longer. But it gave the, the church and Christians the ability to communicate their faith in a, in a pithy way. Now, when we talk about the relevance of it then and now, the relevance is the same in that, one, it's relevant because it shows that, and I've mentioned before, as a, the church, even of the 21st century, we stand in a line of saints that has held a creed and confession that has stood the test of time. And so one of the ways that um, I think the church displays uh, wisdom and humility today is to confess that it's not, it's not the only church of this age. And one of the ways I think you can do that is by recognizing that the church has always confessed something and it can link arms with the church of the past and say, you know, we confess the same thing. We're not, we're not independent. We're not just sort of these, uh, in some sense, rogue or independent Christians, but we do hold to a faith that has been confessed by the broader church. And that shows, I think, union with that, that broader church in that same sort of pithy way. The Apostles' Creed is even a shorter uh, summary than our, our confession, but our confession itself um, cites the Apostles' Creed. And so I think there are a lot of reasons why it's, it's helpful, it's, it, it's relevant. Um, but anybody else wanna, wanna add to that? Why, Dan asked um, how, why um, is the Apostles' Creed necessary today as it was then? <clears throat> I want to add to that. Yeah, I would, just, I would just say what you said about that context <coughs> is really important. Like you're saying that uh, we obviously are not the first Christians, and we have fathers in faith, and we have community. Um, but I would, I would also say that that Trinitarian aspect mm. of it is what is so cool. important. Yeah. 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 And that's one of the first things that all of the um, all of the cults <coughs> and uh, unorthodox spin-offs will yeah. just yeah. So that's that's one of the reasons why I feel it's so Yeah. It's good. Yep. It's good. Trinitarian nature of the creed. Yep. Any other <clears throat> yeah, 
Good. That's a good word. Accountability. Yeah, it's a good word. <clears throat> Any other thoughts before we go to the next section here? Kind of like, Damn. You know, I think when you know someone's speaking heresy, is having a, a full, complete understanding of God's word, <clears throat> which is what these creeds are trying to summarize, right? So it's like, let's not go around that part. Like, that's, that's the foundation. <clears throat> So it's like, I suppose whether you had a creed or a three-level understanding of the Bible, both would tell you something speaking things. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I want to <clears throat> go back to uh, what Chris mentioned, which is uh, in the line of what we see in the um, catechism here. Uh, that creed is... How many parts is this, is this creed divided into three? The first of the eternal father and our creation, the second of the son and our redemption, the third of the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. So the creed, uh, the Apostles' Creed is broken up or divided into these three sections that focus on the Trinity. Um, and again, as it was said, helpfully, it reminds us that our faith is Trinitarian. And a lot of times when we think about the Christian faith, there can be a focus on the Father or focus on the Son or focus on the Holy Spirit. And the scriptures themselves direct our uh, faith uh, of repentance towards God and faith towards uh, Christ by the power of the Spirit. But our faith, our salvation even, is Trinitarian. We're saved by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want to go through... um, Three minutes. I'll go through some of these lines, and we won't be able to look at um, all the verses. But maybe let's do this. I'll go. I'll walk walk through the creed, and I'll cite some verses. We'll try and take a couple. Look at a couple of them. Um, but the others, you can just maybe write. Um, <clears throat> I know I gave myself more content than I thought I'd be able to get through, but um, we'll do that. Uh, First, looking at the creed there, it says, I believe. Someone um, go to 1 John 5.13. 1 John 5.13. Whoever gets there first, you can go ahead and read it for us. First Timothy 6, also uh, Paul exhorts uh, Timothy to hold fast the uh, confession of the faith. Uh, 
the confession once for all delivered to the saints, there was some um, dogma, some teaching that he was to hold to, that he was to, to confess. Um, it wasn't uh, open broadly, but there was some uh, line of teaching that the scriptures held to, that Christians held to, that they, they confess. The statement, um, I believe, is communicating what Christians hold to as, as dogma, what they hold to as the ground and reason for saving faith. Um, you can also uh, cite John 3 and read through that in reference to that first, first line there. I believe in God the Father, uh, Psalm 103, uh, Matthew 5:45. God the Father, um, our God who is almighty. In Psalm 89, uh, the psalmist quotes uh, God as the almighty who both provides and also saves. <clears throat> Creator of heaven and earth. Uh, we see that in Genesis 1 um, and in Romans 1. I believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, Colossians 1 talks about the preeminence of Christ um, and his holy son, uh, John 1. Um, and our Lord, Romans 14, talks about uh, the lordship of Christ as our both Savior and Lord, uh, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, Luke 1, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, Isaiah 7 suffered under Pontius Pilate, Isaiah 53. Would have been easier for me if I just put this in your notes, but I did it. <laughs> so, I'm gonna at least finish it. Um, died and was buried, Matthew 27. On the third day, he rose again, Luke 24. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, Hebrews 9, and will come again, Mark 13, to judge the living and the dead, Revelation 20. I believe in the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, and the Holy Universal Church, 1 Peter 1, the communion of the saints, Ephesians 2, the forgiveness of sins, Jeremiah 31, the resurrection of the body, uh, Daniel 12, <clears throat> and along with that, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, um, and, and the life everlasting, Revelation 21, and 1 John 5.20. <clears throat> I have other verses there. But again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the, the um, Apostles' Creed is meant to summarize the Bible's teaching on um, the Christian faith as it deals with Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and our Trinitarian salvation. So as you work through those verses, if you do, uh, keep that... Keep that in mind. Now, 